What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and today marks the first episode of our First Deal Stories. We came off the cruise in February. We did a Seven Figure Flipping cruise, the first ever cruise we had done, and I thought we need to figure out how to document and record some of these Seven Figure Runway members' first deals, the excitement, the uh, emotion, some of the story, and all that stuff right when it happens. So, I was on a mission starting in March and I recorded, you know, uh, eight to 10 episodes of this and really hearing from them about some of their first deals, their first contracts, uh, their first big success and wins since they joined the group and program and wanted to share that with you for some motivation to get you going and to get out of that rut that we're in, especially right now. I had no idea that we were going to have this kind of pandemic and everything that happened, but I hope what this does is it gives you confidence that along that time, March, April, May, June, July, all these months, that some of you were idle and stuck, that other people are out there doing deals. So the goal of this series is to show you that it's possible to hear some of the ups and downs and the journey that a lot of us are on and being open and real and honest about it. So we came off that cruise. This episode was the first one that I recorded with Justin Smith. He's just outside of Pensacola, uh, right down where I am. And we recorded this in March. So uh, you, we're going to go back in time, uh, March, April, May. I've just recorded a couple of these recently. So um, we're going to kind of open the open the vault and, and let some of these stories out now over the next couple of weeks. So if you join me for the next few weeks, we're going to be inviting other Seven Figure Runway members in to share their first deal story. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and we are jumping into these first deal stories right now. So our Seven Figure Runway members, we rolled out this new program called Seven Figure Runway at Flip Hacking Live last October in 2019. And this is the first time we ever had a program like this. It was a year long and we, some of the members just jumped right into it. And as they jump in, they're starting to see their first deals, their second deals start happening. And what I wanted to do is bring them on the podcast and basically interview them and talk about what that looked like and some of their stories that hopefully can help you if you're listening, whether it's motivation or whether it's uh, some of the skills and techniques that they were using to do it. So today I've got one of our Seven Figure Runway members on the podcast with me who's going to talk about his first deals. The first deal he's well, the first real deal he's ever done. I think you've done some real estate deals in the past that we'll talk about. So uh, I want to welcome Justin Smith. How are you doing, Justin? Great, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. So uh, you are not far from me and uh, just outside of Pensacola. And I actually got to see you not too long ago um, at a different seminar that we went to. And it's great having somebody so close and seeing you succeed. So along with all the other members, like getting that first deal, I really find is that's a huge huge win for what we do. It's like that. Uh, and we'll talk about it a, a lot. I'm sure it's that catalyst to keep going, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely was a big game changer for me. All right. So let's start with a little bit of the background about kind of who you are and what you do. Just give us a kind of background version of that. Uh, it doesn't have to be like uh, where you were born and where you grew up, but like <laughs> anything that can help kind of set the stage to the listeners to say, you know, this is what I do full time and, and this is who I am. Sure. So I am a project manager for the Army Corps of Engineers in uh, Mobile, 
And what we do is primarily military construction for the Air Force and Army. Any kind of uh, vertical or horizontal construction, um, we get involved and kind of act as the design and construction agent for them. Um, I started that back in 2008 in New Orleans um, after Hurricane Katrina. Um, moved there after being married to my wife, uh, who's from New Orleans. I'm originally from Louisiana and um, have kind of lived there for about eight or nine years. We moved to Germany for a year and a half again with the Army. When we came back, we settled in Mobile. And I've been in Mobile now for about about a year, a little over a year. Okay, so you live in Mobile. Is that where you're investing also? Um, actually, mostly in Baldwin County, which is kind of, you have Mobile Bay on the west side, and at the top you kind of have Mobile and Mobile County. On the east side is Baldwin County, and that's that county between Mobile and Florida, basically Pensacola, really. Um, so why did you why did you pick that instead of kind of like Mo, the Mobile area where you are? Um, I was a little bit more familiar. That's where I live. And I felt a little bit more comfortable in that area. Um, I guess the big difference is uh, the properties are, are a little bit nicer and kind of, I guess, just living over here, uh, feeling a little bit more like I could wrap my head around it. Um, Mobile, it's definitely, you have um, lower costs, lower ARVs. Um, but a lot more like 2% type rentals and things like that over here. You're really lucky to get like a 1% rental. Um, okay. So you're over on the East side Baldwin County area where you live. Yeah. in Fairhope, Alabama. Okay. Okay. So uh, keeping it close to home, uh, you, but you have a full-time job that you work and what's that job look like? Uh, it's, I guess I work in mobile um, and Pretty much it's 40 hours a week, some a little extra. I do some travel for work. Um, in fact, when I did my first deal, we'll talk about that later, uh, I was on uh, what we call a TDY, a temporary uh, duty over at uh, Tyndall Air Force Base. Um, we have a lot going on over there right now with the Corps, uh, rebuilding that base after the hurricane, I think it was Hurricane Michael in 2018. Okay, so that deal came to you and you were actually over there in Tyndall uh, working while you were working on this deal. So it's almost like a virtual deal then. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, uh, it, the actual house we went to is like about 50 minutes away from where I live. And um, so I got to go, I went by it twice. Um, but then when I got it under contract, um, or actually when I got it under a verbal agreement with the seller, um, the next day, actually, or maybe even that night, I had to go over to Tyndall, which is about three hours away from, from here, from, from Fairhope. And you were staying there for a while, uh, doing yeah. the TDY work. Yeah, so. we, we're doing, yeah. yeah. So when you guys hear, for those of you listening, a TDY is a pretty common term for the military, so it's temporary duty. We basically go somewhere and we are staying there for a while, whether it's training or it's some sort of a job. And then when that job's finished, then you basically come back. So you're on like 
travel uh, orders. Uh, it doesn't have to be three hours away. It could be, you know, the other side of the country. I've, I've gone TDY out of the country, done lots of different things like that in the military. So, uh, okay, let's, let's like rewind maybe a little bit to set the stage for, for this kind of group that you're in. So um, we had Flip Hacking Live in October. Was that the first time that you had been to that event? Yes. Okay, and so what brought you to that event? Why did you go? So there was a lot. Um, when, when I moved back, or actually when, when I was living in Germany, I kind of made a promise to myself that, that wherever I ended up next, I wanted to do something to, you know, I, I, I knew I didn't want to retire with, you know, work a whole, a full career um, with the Army. Um, so I wanted to try to do something to shorten that, um, that time where I could, you know, which we dig into the, that whole why, but I wanted to do something that allowed me to have more freedom, more time freedom that I could spend with my family and things like that. Um, and like you kind of mentioned earlier, I've never, I'd never done investment deals before, but I've done some, you know, my own real estate buying and selling houses and done work on some of my own houses. And so real estate was kind of attractive to me and I got through maybe a typical path through a lot of people. I, I found bigger pockets, started poking around on there. And then when we moved back here, um, looking around a lot on bigger pockets, talking to people, I found the local RIA, the pig, you know, professional investors guild that you're, you're a member, were a member of, are a member of. And, um, and then eventually through that, I came across posts on Bigger Pockets and on Pig. Of, I kept seeing like uh, Chris and Ariane Lemire. Um, I think I saw your name a few times, other people. And so eventually I was also big at getting big into podcasts and you know, books and things like that. And so um, I listened to the Bigger Pockets podcast for a while. And then eventually I came across your podcast. And um, I think at the time, uh, there was, there was the, you had the house flipping formula. Um, and I got involved in that. And then I was listening to the podcast and you were doing a series, um, you know, Chris and Arian were on there. I think Adam Ray, Tyler Jensen were all on there. And so I was trying to decide what I want to do. And, you know, one of the issues I have with bigger pockets is you go on there and there's so many different ways to invest and you kind of, you're like, what do I do? You know, which direction do I pick? What, what works for me? Um, and so eventually I guess I was like, well, I'm on all these buyers lists. I had I, wanted to buy rentals, you know, and build passive income through rentals. I'm on all these buyers lists. I never see properties over in Baldwin County or hardly ever. Everything I'm seeing is over in Mobile. Um, what if I can try to find the properties myself? So that kind of got me onto the wholesaling thing. Um, the, the RIA that we're in, the PIG Professional Investors Guild, they had a wholesale mastermind coming up, uh, which was like a wholesale mastermind intensive, which was that event, you know, it culminated in that event we just, we just went to. And um, I was talking to my wife about it, you know, we're like, uh, what, do we, what, do I, what should I do? Like, I, I've got this, I could do this mastermind here with the PIG group. Uh, I also really want to go to Flip Hacking Live and the reason why is because listening to those podcasts, there's just that the message and what I heard really resonated with me personally. Um, kind of the things that I was hearing, uh, the way that people were talking about their business, how they conduct their business, 
Um, obviously motivation and mindset was a big challenge for me because I'm just starting out, you know, can I do this? So all of that, you know, I kept kind of coming back to it and I was like, you know, I ended up signing for that wholesale mastermind with the RIA group first, but I just felt really called that I really needed to go to flip packing live. Uh, so I talked to my wife and she agreed that I could go, you know, she would watch the kids and do something with her family. Um, and I went by myself to San Diego and it was, it was amazing. It was just really awesome. I got a ton out of it. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's kind of, that's how I ended up there. It's interesting, isn't it? It's uh, I, so I wrote down a couple of things. Um, the, that analysis paralysis, and I, d- I certainly don't want this podcast to turn into like beating up bigger pockets by any means. But what I find a lot of times, and that's where I started too, and a lot of people do start in like free forums and places. I, so I went from those free forums to the books, to the local RIA, to then just trying to figure out how do I outgrow all of this stuff to go up to the big leagues. And um, and I, I like the part where you said, uh, my wife said that I could go because <laughs> that's kind of how things go. It seems in my house too. I ask for permission. I try to figure out the the plan. I try to present it in the means that it's not going to be a vacation in San Diego for four, five days, right? Like a day on the exactly. I, I think it's interesting because you get into this analysis paralysis with uh, other things. And I love the fact that you focused, right? You said, I want this. This is the path to where I want to go. So here are the steps that I'm going to take along that along the way. And a lot of times what we have to do is we have to filter out some of the things that we think are helping us because they're not. They're actually hurting us or slowing us down, confusing right. us. And I, I had to figure that out. And j- recently, for me, I've had to get very focused on the books that I read, the podcasts that I listen to. What do I need right now for where I am? Not all the stuff that I need to listen to or it sounds exciting because it just... I was a deal junkie in the beginning. I was just trying to do everything. And the focus is really what, when we really started to grow and build something and, um, and really get past the limit that I thought that I w- was butting up against is because I was focused. And that's, I think that's great. Uh, cool story. I'm glad to have been a part of it, obviously. Um, uh, Flip Hacking Live is like my favorite event of the year, obviously. I really love it. Um, so at that event, you said, okay, um, now you've joined uh, a group locally. You now have come to this event in San Diego. What was the conversation with your wife like if you had it uh, of, hey, I'm at this event. There's this, this new group that they're rolling out called the Seven Figure Runway and I want to be a part of it. What was that kind of thing like? Like what was going through your mind and what were you struggling with to, to make that decision? That one was, you know, it really wasn't that hard of a decision when I was there. I think going to the event, um, hearing all the speakers, you know, being with the, with um, other people who are interested in the same thing. Um, I had gotten such tremendous value out of the event itself that I felt like, you know, if I really want to do this, if I really want to make something happen that one thing, you know, the cost actually was actually maybe sort of a motivator for me. It's like, okay, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to, you know, do this. And so that I can't, I can't just say, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this and then back out. There's, there is, 
something tangible I put down on the line. You know, my, my wife, I do the finances. My wife trusts me with that. She, she admits she hates math. Um, so that was a tough decision um, as far as that goes. But now, so she gives, she has this trust in me. If I'm going to spend this money on this, on this group, you know, now I've got to deliver. I, I've got to, you know, be committed. I've got to focus. Um, I've got to do what it takes to show that this investment in myself is a good investment for my family as well. Okay. So at, at that time you were like, this is it. I'm going to put it on the line. I love the fact that you said the cost is a motivator because it was the same way for me. I, uh, I knew that if I, I feel like a lot of times people just want to dip their toe in something and uh, just, it, it, there's always, uh, you know, I, I find the people that don't actually take action are the ones that don't actually commit to it. They're not even, it's just internally committing. And sometimes like pulling out our wallet and putting down some money, that's a big commitment, right? That we make and say, okay, I'm, I'm all in now. And I see that a lot of times with things where when you pay for something up front or you do a payment plan or a monthly or something like that, the, the mentality is totally different in the person and the actions that they take. I remember when I joined, I was like, I just, there, there wasn't even an option for a payment plan. I just paid up front and I knew that if I'm going to put $25,000 down on the line, then I'm going to go to work and I'm going to work hard. And it was, it was almost as much of like, I'm going to get more out of this than I put into it. And that's the kind of person that I am. And I'll just, I'll force it out. Like I'll, I'll ring this program and this thing out for as much as I can get. And fortunately in my case, uh, I was able to ring a lot out. So, um, yep. okay. I have a history of being a toe dipper too. Uh, like, uh, like I, I've done a lot of things where I, I started them and I just, I didn't finish them. And so I, maybe I kind of recognize that about myself. Um, I don't know, you know, well, I think it's good. I mean, self, self-recognition yeah. and self-reflection is like one of the biggest things, especially now we're about to jump into all the, all the hurdles that you had to jump through to get through this deal. Right. Sure. So, um, so you have a full-time job, you join this group and, I guess let's start with uh, maybe talking a little bit about the deal, but I'd also like to hear along the way, like what were some of the struggles and some of the hard things? Like what is your, what does a day look like? You know, you have a full-time job and you're having to almost kind of, you said you wanted time freedom, but you're right. putting in more time right. now, right? Cause I mean, when I think back five years ago, six years ago, I could, I really remember what this is like. I'm, I'm burning the candle on both ends to try to get some traction, right? Absolutely. So let's talk about that first deal a little bit and then I'll just kind of jump in with some questions about kind of what does that look like for you on like a day-to-day basis, kind of what were you doing? So how did you, let's stake it all the way from like in the beginning, where did you start even in the program to, to start doing this? Sure. So, so we get in and we, you know, we have all the the runway videos and uh, we've got the, I did the accountability group. uh, And so I, you know, set my goal. Um, I just really, my goal was I want to get my first deal. Um, and so, you know, you work backwards from that. All right, what are our actions and all that? So we get in and I know one of the things I think we talked about a lot at, at Flip Hacking Live. And then after that was like, we, you know, especially the new people, we really need to focus. Um, you know, don't, don't try to do like five different marketing channels, all that stuff. And I guess, I mean, part of me was like, well, 
you know, if direct mail is where Bill started, if that's good enough for him, you know, maybe that's good enough for me. Um, and, and so I just, you know, one thing about, I, I'm pr I feel like I'm pretty good at following directions and uh, being coached. So it's like, well, I'm just going to try to take, you know, what they say to do and just, just do it. So I started out with direct mail. Um, you know, I pulled in my high equity list absentee owner. Um, I went to Evergreen and I picked, I just picked one of their templates. I didn't spend a whole lot of time, you know, making my own template and, um, I got my mail going, you know, I, I, uh, first I just started in Baldwin County. Um, and I think I sent out like maybe 3000 postcards a month, something like that broke it up into weekly drops and then the phone started ringing. And like you said, like I've got a full-time job. It's just me. I don't have anyone answering the phone. So my phone's ringing while I'm at work. I'm, uh, you know, I'm either walk, running out into the hallway trying to answer it or, you know, if I get a break, if I can't answer it, I'm in a meeting or something like that, just getting to it when I can hoping that um, they haven't called somebody else or, or hoping that they'll answer. And I will say, you know, I did seem to to get pretty good a callback rate where it wasn't too much of an issue if I missed it. There were some that I, that, you know, if if I missed the call, they, you know, they never answered and I never heard from them again. Um, but, you know, and I get the, I, you, you get different calls. You get the take me off your list or the, um, well, uh, I guess I'll, you know, what are you offering? Um, and, um, and then others that, you know, I don't really know motivation much. I'm, I'm kind of, I've listened to lead in, you know, the lead intake uh, kind of video about what are the kind of questions we should ask? What are, how do we look for motivation? But I'm not an expert at it, but I'm just doing it. You know, I'm just like, all right, this is what they say to do. I'm going to try to do it the best I can. Um, I probably, I'm trying to set as many appointments as I can just so I can practice um, and see what it's like so that when I do get a deal, you know, it's, I'm hopefully a little bit better prepared. So that's kind of, kind of how it went. Um, phone calls during the day, calling people back, um, trying to set appointments, either taking off work to go to appointment, you know, taking manual leave or, um, or doing it in the afternoon, um, or, or evening. So, so was it, so, okay. So high equity list, you, so you watch the videos, yep. uh, just did what, uh, what they said to do, uh, put, uh, pull, and just so you guys know, just quick, if you're listening to this, what we did for this year for the seven figure runways, I created all these videos for my team and my staff. We came on, I, I prepared videos, basically trying to almost like franchise my company and my business from the wholesaling side and then brought in some experts on the flipping side where we had different tracks for a wholesaler and a flipper. So it started with kind of mindset, background, videos, things like that. Then it went into the actual uh, technician side of being a wholesaler or a flipper. And then uh, kind of we have a sales platform, all of those different things. So wherever somebody was, I wanted them to just be able to jump in there, watch a video and be able to go take action. So it sounds like Justin watched the videos. He's good at following directions. So he didn't ask questions, get analysis paralysis, go. And that's the thing for me is I would just want these people to say, I need to just watch this video and go do what I need to do. And you can jump in and out of there anywhere. You don't have to watch the whole thing to get started. 
It's just like, watch this video, then go do it. Then come back when you have a question about raising money, watch the raising money video. And so then uh, pulled a high equity list, uh, sent out some mailers, answered live as much as possible and try to set appointments. Was it, um, was it like, I'm gonna send out 3,000 mailers and my phone is like ringing off the hook? Was it, did it come in slow and steady? Was it very easy to set appointments? What was that like? Was it a challenge or was it easy? Um, I probably got, you know, okay. So, so I split it up into four different drops over a month. So that 3,000, I guess, was really more like, what, 800, something like that a week. And um, so I probably got about, I probably got about eight to 10 phone calls a week. Um, and so I don't think it wasn't too hard scheduling appointments. And I wasn't trying to, you know, I was trying to just do what I could. I wasn't trying to worry about it too much. Like, oh, I got to get out of there right away. Um, just just working with, with my schedule, uh, with work and family life and all that stuff. Um, so doing the best you can, getting yeah. on the appointments and yep. uh, just, just saying yes. Did you just go on all the appointments? Were you filtering them down? What was that like? Well, so a lot of them, because they're absentee owners, I, I got a lot of calls from people who lived out of state. And so I would just go to the house and look, walk around the house and look at it. Or if there's a lot of uh, vacant land in my area, I went and looked at some, some properties. This actually, the first deal I got was the first appointment I went on and actually talked to a person and went inside the house. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that was kind of, trying to set those appointments, like you said, but, um, but yeah, a lot of them were, were, like I said, either, either land or, uh, or the people lived out of state and couldn't get me into their house. Okay. So that, that sounds, uh, that's probably pretty good for somebody who has a full-time job, right? Uh, it's, a, you know, you can just go on your own time if it's vacant or, um, if they, they just want you to drive around and take a look at it and peek in the windows. I did that a lot when I was uh, full time, I would right. like before work or after work, I would try to work my, like my travel around those houses and addresses and things. Um, okay. So let's talk about this specific deal. So it was the first one that you went into a house and met with the seller. So let's talk a little bit about the deal and just kind of jump into it. Sure. So, uh, it was, obviously a call from direct mail. She got my postcard. Uh, I think she called me the first time was like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. So I was getting all set to go to visit my family. Um, and I, I'm trying to remember the first time I actually went out there. This was like November 23rd or something like that. And, um, um, so I just remember I went out there either before I went for break on Thanksgiving or like when I came back and I talked to her, I said, Hey, you know, are you going to let the, can you make sure the tenant knows that I'm coming? So I, and she's like, Oh yeah, sure, sure. So I get out there and the tenant is like, uh, I didn't know you were coming and my wife is inside and we're getting ready to go somewhere. I'm sorry, you know, I can't let you inside the house. <laughs> and so this was like a, it's like 50 minutes away from my house. And so I'm kind of, you say 50, like an hour. 50, yeah. Like about an hour away from my house. So wow. I was pretty, pretty upset, but I mean, I, 
you know, I was like, okay, you know, that's on me. I should have, I guess, you know, made sure that the seller had actually reached, you know, the tenant. Um, but anyway, he, I did, I did get to walk around outside of the house and I got to learn a lot of the background about the house. They had been living there for 10 years, uh, renting it. Um, the, the seller had not been to the property in about 10 years. It, it had been owned by her. It was owned by her and her husband. Her husband had passed away. Um, and they, they, she had just been running it out. She lived about three hours away. Um, and yeah, that just kind of the house, you could tell it was in disrepair from the outside. He kind of told me that she hadn't spent any money fixing it up. He had been kind of doing some of the work himself, but he didn't really want to put a lot of money into it because he was renting it. So kind of got that information. And basically I was like, well, because of work and because of my schedule, I couldn't go back for a week. It was, so I basically, I was like, look, I'm going to try to reschedule for a week from now and I'll come back out and, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. So, uh, fast forward a week, I go back out there. Um, I get in and this is, this is a Friday and take a look and, um, you know, see the issues. There's, there was like a leak in one of the bathrooms and, um, you know, it's just an older outdated home It had wood floors, you know, there was, it had asbestos siding, which I was a little bit, I was like, Oh geez, I didn't know anything about asbestos siding. So I was like, am I going to be able to, you know, even if I get on a contract, is that a huge repair? I don't, I didn't know. Um, how did you even know that it had that kind of siding? He told me, the tenant told me, yeah, the tenant told me it was asbestos siding. So I, you know, I think he was kind of trying to discourage me from, from, you know, he, he even told me that he had tried to uh, buy it from her and she, she um, had, and and I think he, I want to say he told me the price he had given too. So I was like, okay, well, that's some good information to have, but he had asked and she had rejected yeah, I want to jump um, in here before you keep going because sure. one of the one of the biggest kind of like gold bombs in all of this right now is that when you go to a house that is tenant occupied, the tenants will give you the goods about yeah, the landlord, yeah. about every problem with the house, everything. The fact that they don't do any work for the house. They'll just complain, like build rapport with the owner, like against the tenant, and then build yeah. and and don't 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 beat up the tenant to the owner and don't beat up the owner to the tenant. But just be that ear to, that they that, and that, that shoulder for them to cry on and complain to you about. Don't don't join the party because then you don't you don't know what the relationship is like with the owner and the tenant. But it every time that I went on appointments and there's a tenant in place, I'd be like, oh hey, uh, so how's the maintenance on the house or what's the, tell me a little bit about the house and they will tell you everything, all the good, bad, and <laughs> ugly, and they'll usually talk trash about the landlord. And then the landlord will usually talk trash to you about the tenant. It's like you are the, the counselor in all of this. And you can yeah. get, gather as much information as you can if you just ask questions and listen. And then you can use a lot of that in your negotiation or at least try to, like the whole story here is I think you're trying to put the puzzle together for the seller and, and what's going on. Because a lot of times they won't tell you why they're selling or they'll give you some fake reason or they won't tell you how motivated they are, things like that. They're going to tell you whatever story that they want to tell you. They're going to give you the information that they want you to have so that you can, you know, 
make the best decision that you can to for offer and timeline and all that stuff. But the more information you can find out, the better. Like I just wrote down here with like multiple exclamation points, get as much info from the tenants as you can. Cause it's, a, that's a huge thing that I learned early on in all of this going on these appointments. So sorry to jump in, but I think it's definitely important to point out for the people that are listening that are going on some other first appointments to do you, every single person that you talk to gather as much information as possible, but also don't be the person that beats up the, don't, don't join the party, but be understanding and say, oh man, I can't believe that. Really? Right, they right. do that? What? The, that land, the landlord hasn't fixed it up in 10 years? Wow. And just keep asking more questions. Like, why, why are they doing that? And I don't know, she doesn't have any money or she's always doing this or, you know, lots of, you will learn so much. And Obviously, it's somewhere in the middle of the two stories, usually, of what's actually going on. So, right, right. All right. Okay. So, you're walking around. It's like probably like early December this time now. So, you, yes, somewhere around there? Okay. December, I think, 5th, something okay. like that. Um, and so, uh, look at the property. I, I do my, you know, visual inspection. I take pictures. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I, since I'm not meeting with, this, with the seller in person, I'm going to talk to her later on the phone. I'm not, you know, uh, I'm trying to mentally calculate my numbers, but then when I go back later, I'm, you know, I, I calculate it back. So, um, so I guess that was Friday and I actually didn't end up contacting the seller until Sunday, um, to talk about, you know, okay, I'm pre preparing, you know, I do my run my comps basically through, you know, at this time I don't, I'm just doing it on Zillow and um, looking up county data as much information as I can, but I don't have access to, um, to the MLS or anything. So I come up with my ARV and then I subtract out my, you know, my repairs and do the little formula. And, um, and so then I come up with my, what my max allowable offer is. Um, and so I get her on the phone and I tell her about, you know, the things I'm seeing and describe because she hasn't, you know, she hasn't been there in 10 years and I know she hasn't. So I'm telling her, oh, this is, you know, this is what's going on. And then I say, oh, the, the tenant was complaining about this and this thing is broken and, and um, all that stuff. And, you know, I'm asking that the air conditioning wasn't working and I'm asking about the roof and what's going on with this leak in the bathroom. and. Um, kind of like just what you said. I mean, she she basically starts blaming the tenant for all this stuff, and um, why hasn't he, you know, reached out to me to let me know? And of course, I don't know what the real story is. But um, anyway, so we get into the negotiation part, and um, you know, I haven't really spent much time. This is my first time negotiating, so I've got my maximum allowable offer in my head. And she kind of comes out and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get her number first and she finally gives me a number and she kind of anchors me really high. And so I guess I automatically go to my MAO and my maximum allowable offer. So what, what did she, what did she put throw out? Do you remember? I, you know, I want to say she started at 120 and, okay. and um, what was your maximum allowable offer? 85. 
Okay, so she's at 120, and in your mind, you're like 85,000 is my MAO. You yeah. haven't done a lot of negotiations. Yeah. And she says 120, and you go, I can't do 120, but I can do 85. I can do 85. That's pretty much what I did. I just <laughs> went straight to 85. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, didn't try to anchor low. I didn't do anything okay. like that. But yeah, so, and she, she kind of, she's like, well, you know, I don't know. And, and um, I have to talk to my son. And, um, and she actually did. I think she, she hung up. I'm pretty sure she hung up with me and went and talked to her son. And she tried, at first she tried to get me to come off of 85. And I said, look, you know, this is really, this is as high as I can go. So, um, so she goes and talks to her son and maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes later, she calls me back and she says, okay, you know, I can, I can do 85. And so, and then what did you do? Did you like jump for joy? Were you like doing backflips around your, your house? <laughs> I was like, pretty how did you excited. Feel? Yeah, okay. I felt really good. Felt really good, really excited. Um, you know, first house, I got a verbal agreement. Um, of course, I, then I started thinking about, well, like, how am I going to get this contract signed? She lives three hours away. I've used DocuSign for my own properties, like on, on residential purchases and things like that. For, but I've never been the one to go in and like originate the documents and anything like that. So, so, um, Basically, yeah. From there, um, the so next bef day. Bef before you okay, keep going, sure. up yeah. to this point, um, it, it, did you typically just use the group for the videos, uh, the mailers, things like that? Or, and up to this point, did you feel like you had all of these things under control and you were like self-educating and training yourself inside the video series? No, I mean, in fact, I, I, went, I went into the Facebook group and I asked a question about um, um, I think I didn't ask right away. Actually, yeah, it was, it was the next day. I asked on Monday when uh, an important piece of information came out that, okay. um, that kind of threw me completely for a loop. Um, so up to this point, it was pretty much the videos and just seeing and the accountability group session. So for sure. those of you guys that are listening, we have small group accountabilities inside the runway and it's a weekly call that you get on to, uh, track your actions uh, together in a small group, like probably five or six people. And so pretty much that was it up to this point, because I know, yeah. I know the story. So um, this yeah, one, yeah. this one I do know uh, because I heard it, you know, last week. So, okay. So from here, so Sunday you got the verbal offer, you're doing backflips in your living room. You're really excited, but also a little bit nervous. It sounds like of like, how, do, how do I do all this stuff now? Like DocuSign and all these things. Right. And then the contract too. I mean, we have, you know, contract forms in the runway, um, but I had never, I'd never used it. And so I'm looking at it and I'm like, uh, can I even use this in my state? And trying to, so trying to figure out all that stuff. Um, and, you know, basically it was just kind of like, well, this is what I got. I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to, get her to sign it. I'll figure this DocuSign thing out. I'll get it in there. I'll go over the contract with her. Cause I think in one of the videos we have is it's, we use uh, that one page contract and basically either you or, or Chad King goes, this go explaining, going through. And so I try to do the same thing. I just go over the phone with her, you know, these are different things and um, get an email address from, from, from them and, and uh, okay, 
you know, I'm going to be sending it to you. You got to sign it. Um, and so this, this is all happening Sunday night. And then the next day I'm driving up to, uh, out to Tyndall, um, for a week, um, for, uh, charrettes for this ongoing work we're doing. Um, and I'm going to be in all day meetings basically from, you know, 8.30 AM until 4.30 PM. We get little breaks and things like that, but it's, the rest of the time, it's sitting in a room with a bunch of other um, military and, and uh, engineers and, and all this stuff talking about, you know, how to build buildings and, and things like that. So, um, so then the next part, I guess, is like, all right, I think I've got this under contract. Um, now I need to, you know, do dispositions. I need to try to sell it. To somebody see see who who's interested in buying it, and I have like four people on my buyers list <laughs> at this time. I've got um, one guy who is also in the local RIA, who I when I had first gotten in this area, I saw him on Bigger Pockets and the RIA group, and I reached out to him, hey, let's go, let's do coffee, and so I actually met him for coffee. That's one of the things they did. They talk, you know, tell you to do is is go meet people, network. And so I was, that was my, uh, one of my networking attempts. And, um, I kind of felt like, you know, all right, well, I know I can trust this guy. Um, he's flipping on the Eastern shore. He lives near me. Um, I can talk to him. There was another guy I talked to and, um, the first guy actually, um, he, he said he wasn't interested. He said it was too far away from him, but he might know some people are interested but he's like, can you create like a little document or something that, you know, showing the pictures of the property and what your ARV is and all that stuff and information. And so I'm, you know, after, after work Monday night, I'm in my hotel on Excel and, you know, I'm trying to create this document and, and email it to him. And, um, and then the other guy I'd spoken to uh, who ended up eventually purchasing it, he um he said well okay well i'll go look at it and i can't remember what day he actually looked at it if it was it probably was tuesday um and so that was that happened on monday the other huge thing huge huge thing that happened on monday is when i'm talking to the seller she drops this bomb on me she says oh by the way i need to close by december 16th and at this point, it's it's December 9th. It's Monday. So she's like, I have to close in by seven days. Um, and I'm like, what? Why? You know, what's what's <laughs> what's the big rush? And she says, well, um, I she lives up on this property. She had bought a trailer that she was living in. And, and it turns out she had gotten like four months behind on her trailer payments. And so her solution was. I found this place, a nice piece of land with a property on it. The seller is willing to let me move in if I give him a $25,000 deposit. So, so that was also another important piece of information is, okay, you know, $25,000, she needs that. But the huge thing was, you know, we got to close in seven days. And so, you know, I'm freaking out now at this point. I'm talking, I talked to the to the guy who's interested and I say, Hey, you know, can you do seven days? And he's like, well, you know, I don't know. I can try. 
So he goes out and looks at the house and then he calls me back and he's like, Hey man, um, I went and looked at the house. Um, you know, I think you're right on your ARV, but you miss some things on your you know, repair checklist. He's like, it's a three bedroom house. One of the bedrooms doesn't have a closet. So technically it can't be considered a bedroom. Um, there's no laundry room. And, um, what was the other thing? I had written it down. Um, anyway, there was some other, some other big issue that with the house that, um, that I missed. And he's like, he's like, really, if, if I'm going to buy this deal, I need the price to be more like, I'll buy it at 63 is kind of the price he gave me. And so at this point I had, by the way, I had, I had it under contract for 85. I was trying to assign it for 95. You know, I was trying to get that 10K assignment fee. And so I, I have to go down from 85. So if he's willing, if he'll, if he'll pay 63, if I still want to get 10K, I've got to get it at 53. So I've got to go from 85 to 53. Um, for those of you that aren't math majors, that's $32,000 <laughs> price reduction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I'm like, well, you know, I guess it kind of a, maybe this also works in, in my favor was like, since I had never done a deal before, um, it's like, well, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to treat this as a learning experience. I mean, part of me was like, there's no way this just isn't going to happen. But I need to go through with it. I need to try. I need to see if, if I can make it work. Um, so the next day, I think on one of my breaks in, um, in, in, in my work day, I go out in my car. I'm in, I'm in my car. Um, we have like a 20 minute break and I'm like, all right, I'm going to call the seller. So I remember where I was. I'm sitting in the car. I'm facing this track that's got, you know, uh, these trees that have all died. It, it's because after the hurricane that that area got hit really hard and i'm i'm talking on the phone and you know i just basically i just try to use kind of what what i've what i've learned so far about the repairs i explain exactly what um the flipper the, the guy who's interested in buying it had told me about you know the missing laundry room the missing closet um, some other things that I had kind of missed, you know, I talk about the tenant, you know, oh, the, you know, the, the tenants, I guess, you know, he just hasn't been fixing it up. And of course she's, she gets, I guess, really upset. And, and then I just played on her. I say, look, I, you know, if I, if I'm going to still buy this, I've got to, I've got to have, um, I gotta, I gotta get you to, you've got to come down to, you know, to 53. And, um, what was interesting is right away she kind of she said well she said like what about what about 63 and she she actually started negotiating the same way she did the first time i had negotiated with her and so i was kind of like oh wow you know i think she might actually do it so i i mean i really didn't have i couldn't go up on it or at least i felt like i couldn't go up on it i mean i guess i could have you know, gone for a lower assignment fee, but I wanted to see if, 
she would stick, you know, if I could, if I could at least get that, you know, keep her at that 53 K number. And, and she tried a few more times. And I, then I think she's, again, she had to call her son or, or her son may have even been there with her. And, um, and then she agreed to it. And I was like, I was like, wow. You know, so I kind of had that same feeling again. Um, of like, wow, I can't believe this. And, so you went from doing backflips to getting like sweating because you're yeah. like, there's no possible way that she's going to reduce the price to doing right. backflips again. Um, the interesting thing that I pulled out of here is you remember exactly where you were when you made that phone call. And I can think back to um, all of the times in my life where I was incredibly stressed out, like really scared. And I can, I can remember where I was, what I was doing when that time came. Cause it's like the first time that you do something, it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable. You just remember how you felt, where you were, what everything looked like. So it's incredible that you could describe it that, that detailed because you were probably in this really just stressed out. I, I, I can, I can even imagine what it was like. You're sitting in the car, looking at your phone, probably typed in the number and then went, ah, deleted it and went, tried to do something else. So a lot of times when we're uh, kind of it's human nature and we're uncomfortable. We don't want to do something. We'll find other things to do or we'll, we just, we'll put it off and put it off and put it off. And I've done it a ton of times. And um, so I know that feeling like you're, it's, it's that like more scared nervousness than it is excited nervousness, you know? Yes, yes for sure. And, and so it's, it's okay. So all, so all of that stuff happened. She came down in price and then was everything cool from then on? It was easy, smooth sailing. No, I mean, the, I guess the big concern was, um, you know, we still got to try to close in seven days. And so finally, so I get the buyer to, I get her to agree to that. And then um, the buyer comes back and I, t- I talk to him and he's like, he's like, look, man, I can, I think I can close by next Monday, but I can't get. 53k together in time i can't get all that cash together and i'm like no (laughs) you know i'm so close um and so he's like he's like look here's what i can do i think i can make and, and i had told him about the um you know what she had told me about how much she needed about the 25k he's like i can i think i can get the 25k together though so if you can convince her to take 25k at closing and then we'll pay her the rest when we sell the house um then then yeah i think we can get this deal done and so so then so he's go. so he's he's asking her to sell her finance so so you got it for 53 you're assigning it to him for sixty for a ten thousand dollar assignment fee, so yes. it's total sixty three thousand. Yes. So he he's going to put twenty five thousand down, and she's going to carry the rest of the sixty three thousand. Is that right? That's, That's what right. he's trying to get you to do. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you got to go back to the seller that just came down. What was it? Thirty two thousand yep. dollars in purchase price, and say, hey, I want to. Uh, would you consider seller financing it and getting 25,000? I know I said 53, but now 25 is going to come out and you'll get the other, what is it? 28,000 after, after, after it gets sold down the road. Yep. And I said, and so, yeah. And I, I just, 
I really tried to focus on, you know, I can get you that 25,000 that you need by next Monday, you know, but I, I tried not to go into too much about, you know, oh, seller finance. All that stuff. I just said, we're really trying to get you that 25,000. I tried to really focus on that. And, um, and, you know, I explained about how, like, uh, you know, I described the, the buyer as my partner. I said, you know, we're not going to sit on the house. You know, it costs money to sit on the house. So we'll be trying to get the work done as soon as possible and get it back on the market as soon as possible to sell and, um, and all that stuff. And, and so, yeah, that was another conversation, I guess. I, I didn't feel quite as, you know, as much trepidation about it. I think just because I felt like, well, she had come down, maybe, you know, she'll go for this too. And, and she did, she did. So it's kind of, um, and I don't, I don't even, I don't remember when, when that conversation was, that may have been the same day or it may have been later that day. Uh, or I think it was probably just later in that day. Um, I went back and I looked, I think we had like 20 or something phone conversations back and forth that, you know, over that, that week period. Um, but yeah, so just kind of, you know, all right, we've gone this far. <laughs> can we go, can we go a little bit further to make just it keep happen? Just pu- keep pushing her a little closer to the edge yeah, and yeah, hope she doesn't yeah. fall off. So what, um, so that closed somewhere in the middle of uh, December? It closed December, what, 15th? I think it was a Monday. Yeah, it was okay. Monday, December 15th. Okay, and, so, you, um, so you came to Flip Hacking Live in October. It was around the middle of October. You got that call towards the uh, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so around the middle to end of uh, November, and then closed it um, middle of December. So about two months after you joined the group, you were in the mastermind, you came to Flip Hacking Live, about halfway through, it seems like it was mostly videos and things like that that you got um, to take the action that you needed to take. And then was the second half, um, now that you're in it, right? You're taking action, you're doing the things, you're starting to hit roadblocks and things like that. Like what, what did you utilize then for that second half of it? Was it the videos and stuff or was all this stuff kind of like you're treading into unknown territory at that time? It was somewhat videos, but then also I'm asking questions in the group you know, I, I think I, I posted in the group, especially when I, when that thing about closing in seven days came up, um, you even responded and you said, get it under contract, blast it out to your buyer's list. Um, tell them, you know, you got it three to five days um, to sell it and, um, and, you know, just see what happens. And so I, you know, I asked, uh, I think I asked, I put it out in my local RIA group too um, for, for any kind of advice or anything like that. But yeah, it was just kind of, a let's just, you know, imperfect action, just do what I can. You know, I'm, I don't have time to, to get it, to know if I'm even getting it right. You know, I'm just going to do the best I can and move forward. And, um, you know, I had to, I had to, provide my LLC documents to the closing agent. And um, we had to get a copy of the death certificate for the husband. Um, The closing, the title company asked for that. 
Um, and so I had to, basically they took a picture on their cell phone and emailed it to me. And then I emailed that to the, to the, uh, cause I, again, I'm in Florida over in uh, Tyndall. Um, I can't go pick it up and, and bring it anywhere. And they're three hours away. They're two hours away from Mobile where the closing was held. So, um, just things like that, you know, it's just, let's, let's see what we can, um, using the videos, using pe what people are posting in the Facebook group, um, all that stuff. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. Perfect action. Out. I like that. So one thing I wrote down is, um, I wrote this down and highlighted it on my page. It says, you didn't spend a lot of time figuring out the how, like right. the, getting exactly perfect. You just did it. And then you said, well, all right, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. I think the biggest takeaway that I have from this is if this, this first deal is like this, um, you had to jump through a lot of hoops. There were a lot of problems that came up. If you can solve those, then um, you can pretty much do anything. You learned a lot on this first deal and you got paid for it, right? Yep. So at the end of the day, what happened? Uh, middle of December, it closes. You get a check for how much at the, uh, at the closing table? Was it a wire? Was it a check? What, it, what was it like? I actually went to the closing and I got a check for $9,500. Um, I forget what the, where the difference was between, I think his number was actually 500 lower or something like that. So anyway, so yeah, there was a, it was 9,500. That was awesome. Like I was so pumped. Um, there's a, the validation that, you know, I could do this. Um, it works. Um, all those kinds of things. And then from there, it was kind of like thinking about, all right, well, you know, let's, let's get the next deal. Um, let's go. And how has that been? Has it been, uh, have you been continuing to move forward? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm in, I think I just sent out my fourth month of, of mail. Um, I have, two under contract right now. I got, I got one under contract at the end of December that I ended up having to, to let go because um, I was just wrong again on my numbers. Um, and then um, I've got one under contract that is supposed to close in, I want to say eight days. So that one was also an owner finance. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't as complicated, but, um, definitely not just your straight normal, um, you know, assignment. It's, it's, uh, I had to, ne to negotiate. They were kind of firm on their low, low price, but I was able to talk to them about, they own it outright and they were willing to sell or finance. So that one closes in, in seven or eight days. And then I have another one that, um, is a very light, uh, and it only needs like 5k in repairs, um, that I'm supposed to close on April 6th. I don't actually have a buyer for that one yet. I'm still working on it. Um, but I feel pretty confident there's definitely a deal there. I just, just got to kind of figure, figure that out. And, you know, we've got all this stuff going on right now. So, uh, well, I saw you post about that one recently in the group. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, I hope that one works out too. So that, that's cool. I, I, I love to see that progress happening. And it seems like the difference between zero one that I see is it's the confidence. It's the, it's the fact that like you said, you use the word validation. And I think that's really important to 
Because I remember, I remember my first deal like it was yesterday because I, that first time that that money showed up, and I, I was going for a $10,000 assignment fee too. We, we gave the attorney, what we used to do is we used to get the, the uh, assignment fee off the HUD completely and um, the seller would never see it at all. And the, uh, the attorney would charge me $100 for everyone that we did. So I made $9,900. But I remember exactly the deal, what happened, all the issues. Um, I remember talking to that first uh, buyer and what that conversation was like and how I met him and how it all went down. It was, it, and it all just kind of lined up. It was like that Swiss cheese type model where it just all lines up and it just happens, right? Right. It's right. right through. Just like this one, a lot of problems, issues. Um, you got to dig in sometimes, not quit. And the one thing I asked you when I heard this story the first time was, um, was would you think, do you think that you would have quit if you didn't have the support um, on this deal? And obviously the listeners don't know the answer here, but I'd love to hear it because I think it's, I think it's pretty powerful for them to hear what, what it's like to have support versus be on your own and be isolated in, through all this process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, gosh, I think the first time, even if the seller said, oh, I've got to close in, in seven days, I might've given up then. I might've said, oh, well, there's no way I can do this. You know, I don't think it can happen. Um, or, you know, if not there, when, you know, maybe even if the first time I went out to the house and the tenant wouldn't let me in um, and I had to go back again, you know, I don't know. I think between flip hacking live and then the group and um, the videos and kind of getting that message that, you know, you hear a lot about like, you know, what, what one man or woman can do, you know, you can do. And, and it really kind of pumped me up and, and felt felt like, all right, you know, this this is on me. You know, the the whole the other concepts of like extreme ownership and taking ownership. And um, Walter Bond has a great has a great quote to um, the difference. It's like a C uh, a C student is an A student with excuses. Or you know, it, um, I didn't. I'm sure I, I got it not quite right, but but that really things like that really struck me as like. You know, earlier I mentioned I've kind of been a toe dipper, um, whereas, you know, I, I say I want to do these things and I start doing them. But then when I, the first like roadblock that I hit or, or the second roadblock, I just kind of, I give up. And so um, all that to say, like having that support, having people to reach out and talk to, um, having somebody to show you how to do it, it was, I mean, I, I, definitely think it made all the difference in me seeing it all the way through. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's incredible. It's very similar. I mean, I've been down the same path as you, right? It took me four and a half months to put my first money in the bank. So it didn't happen two months after I went to an event, you know, but it was, I just, I, I could see it. I, I was confident because other people were doing it and they were real people and they were, they were good people and I could relate to them. A lot like what you said in the beginning, that a lot of what you heard at that event resonated with you okay. and where you're like, these are the kind of people that I want to be around and, and emulate and stuff. So the, the couple things that I highlighted, and I hope that we helped a lot of people today see that it's not always easy. You had a full-time job, you have a family, you have a lot of requirements and things that are pulling on your time. 
and you just went out there and, and did it. So I wrote down, so some things that I highlighted, you wanted time freedom, uh, analysis paralysis is very easy to get into, especially if you're not focused. Uh, focus, you took action. Um, and then that kind of cycle from mid-October, just jumping in and doing it to two months later, seeing money in your bank. I mean, that's incredible. And then you didn't spend a lot of time figuring out the how. And, uh, and I love the fact that you had four people on your buyers list. Like people that are listening are going, I said to blast it out to your buyers list. I did, frankly, I didn't know you only had four people on there. But the people that are listening are saying, oh, I got to have a buyers list of at least like 500 or 1,000 or 200 or whatever. And you made $10,000 with four people on your buyers list. And the biggest thing for me is, and I said it to my team recently, with everything that's currently going on in the market and the cycle, we were kind of uncertain about what the future is going to bring. And I said, look, guys, it only takes one person to buy each one of our contracts. Like we sell that contract to one person. We have thousands of people on our buyers list right now. If a couple of them aren't buying, it's not going to kill us, right? We just need one person to buy that deal and that's it. So that's a big, uh, a big takeaway for me from this is you don't have to have the perfect buyers list. You don't have to have the perfect business. You don't have to have the perfect entity. You don't have to be perfect. Just don't, you don't need to figure out the how. Just get out there, take action and figure it out along the way. Like start building the, uh, the airplane on the way down, right? So <laughs> just, just do it, man. Just jump. So hopefully we help some people today see that it's possible and everybody's, it's not perfect, right? It's that imperfect action that you talked about. Right, right. And I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people try to like set everything up. In the very beginning of those videos, I say, look, you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need that. Like just go out there and do it. So the people that watch the videos, good. Like I hope that they get a ton out of it. I hope they uh, actually listen like you did and pay attention and actually do it because that's, that's it. I mean, you could watch all the videos and not take any action, not do anything. You're not going to get anywhere, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. Any last things that you want to share with the uh, listeners? Anything that you found over these last like three or four months that have helped you that you want them to know? Um, I guess it, you know, especially if this, for, for people starting out, you know, f for me, I kind of, I focused on kind of three areas, you know, that to help me get started, you know, looked at one was knowledge, uh, two was time, you know, figuring out the time thing, not trying to use that as an excuse, like, okay, yeah, I've got a full-time job and I have a family, I've got three kids, we have a lot of things. Um, and then also motivation and, you know, figuring out those things, you know, making sure that they're, you don't have excuses, um, go out there. You know, if you, you feel like you need some knowledge, you know, like you said, get, get, get just enough you need to get going and, and, but then actually get out and do it. And the time thing, you know, find time, you know, self-improvement has become a huge thing for me. I've learned a lot about, you know, just about self-improvement in general throughout all this. And I feel like what I'm learning from the group, really, I can apply to many areas of my life. And so all that is kind of like building on itself, you know, the, in this kind of like feedback loop of like a positive feedback loop of, okay, it's making me more motivated. I'm, I'm you know, stopping old habits that were maybe not, they were not good habits. They were time wasters, things like that. And um, 
because I'm excited about working on my business and I'm excited about going through all this um, with the other runway members. I love seeing their success and I, I want to do well so I can share my success with them too. Um, and it's just, you know, it can be done. You can do it. If I can do it, you no, know, you can do it too. So. Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for sharing your story, everything about this deal. I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see what the future brings. And I can't wait to see you at Flip Hacking Live this year in October and see how far you've come. So all these success stories inside the group are amazing. It's exactly why I wanted to put this together. I wanted it to be a one-year journey. I wanted to close the doors. I wanted to make sure that we all go through together for the accountability, for the like building with each other, building our culture, the different uh, relationships between all of us has been a lot of fun. So thanks for sharing your story today and uh, jumping on the podcast with me. I know it's uh, you've got the family, you've got the kids right now, everything's going on. So yeah. thanks for taking the time to do this, man. And, uh, and make sure that you thank your wife from all of us too for sharing you with us today. So. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Justin. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Bill again. And I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house slippers to walk you through everything they're doing, how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, ask questions, and apply what you learned. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.